Welcome to the New Hope 365 podcast. Due to the rising number of COVID cases in our area, we are once again having church online only. For the easiest way to keep up with the latest information about New Hope 365, you can download our app by searching New Hope Round Rock in your favorite app store. And now, here is today's message. Well, we continue on today in a series entitled Reality, the battle between good and evil. And the, the premise of what we're, we've been talking about uh, as the foundation is Scripture and the Word of God. The premise is, is that there is a battle for the souls of mankind that has been raging from the beginning and is still raging to this day, and it will rage until the very end when Satan and his demons are completely destroyed. Uh, until that time, we have to be aware and tuned in as Christians to the battle between good and evil. That's important for us. And so I've been talking about uh, the, the, the battle that raged in heaven and how Satan and his followers were cast down to the earth and the battle then is continued on the earth and how Jesus needed to come so that we would have not only a redeemer, but somebody that would engage the battle on our home front, so to speak, and obviously Satan's home front. And we've talked about that. And last week I, I went and talked about the topic of worship battles. And hopefully uh, that has spurred you to remove anything that might be standing in the way of your worship unto God. Today, we're specifically talking about the topic of here, pride, the battle of pride. And it's not one that any of us want to talk about so much, and it's not like I'm an expert on this topic of pride, um, but I'm going to give it a shot. So here we go. Uh, when I preach and I get to the point where I'm at the end of the service, I will, more often than not, I will step down from the stage or from the platform. And as I step down from the stage, I will make myself available to pray over anybody that would like to come forward for prayer, engage in conversation, just whatever, making sure that I'm available to meet any need or help someone that may have a need. And there have been times, probably at least a half a dozen times, in full-time ministry, I've been doing it for 26, the last 26 years full-time vocationally, where I'll be preaching and I'll be looking out and I'll see somebody in the crowd that I don't recognize. Now, that's not that out of the ordinary, you know, you go, okay, there's somebody there, there's somebody there, I don't know them. But in these circumstances, situation, I will look and it's like I get a, I get a check from the Holy Spirit about the person that is sitting in the crowd, and it's like all of a sudden these spiritual antennas come out, and I'm on alert that there's something wrong in the midst of our gathering. And of course, it doesn't debilitate me from being able to preach, or it doesn't stop me from proclaiming what is needed to be proclaimed at that time, but at the end of the service, I can promise you when I get that check, that as I make myself available, that person... And it could be a male, it could be a female, will come down and they will approach me and they will begin to ask me questions that are always along the same vein. What is it that this church believes? 
Do you believe this? Do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe uh, that, that uh, Mary was a, a virgin or whatever? It could be any of those types of questions. And then, without, without a doubt, what will happen is that then they will begin to tell me that they have a revelation from God that they have heard from God and they're telling me that there's something wrong in this church and that we must get things right and begin to proclaim the gospel the way our Heavenly Father told us that we need to proclaim the gospel. I'm thinking, wait a second, what's the deal? And, and so that, this type of thing is going on and then they'll even make statements like, hey, uh, you have church on Sunday, you should actually be having it on the Sabbath, which is according to Scripture, on Saturday. And what the Lord has spoken to me and shown me in those moments is that somebody has walked in with incredible spiritual arrogance. Somebody has walked in believing, and I I fully believe that they believe this, that they come in, that they have a spiritual connection with God, that they're going to come and they're going to bring to our gathering and to the church. But what... They don't have as one. They don't have a relationship with me. And that's not a great way to segue into a relationship with me. But I found that in these moments, I just look at them and I punch them out. No, I don't do that. I don't, I don't punch them out. What I do is I say, thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. May I pray for you? And of course, every time they end up walking away and I never see them again. It was a moment, and I have come to the conclusion that there are those that will walk in with pride, but it will be masked in religion, and their intent is to potentially hurt, and they don't even know, hurt the church, hurt the sheep, hurt the body at large. And so I continually pray for God's protection over the body, over where you're at, wherever that may be. And I pray that there'll be no no individual that would ever have liberty to come in and twist and become something that should never have entered into the local church. I pray against that. This, this topic of pride can be so subtle, but let's look at what God has to say about it. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17 says, These, there are six things the Lord hates. Think about what is it you hate. What do you hate? He says, I hate six things, yet seven are an abomination to him. And the number one, number one thing that God hates, it says, is a proud look or what is called haughty eyes. It's, it's in essence elevating oneself as if to say, I don't need God. And so our Heavenly Father says that is an abomination to Him, the proud look or the haughty eyes. Pride is elevating yourself over or above God. Now, it's, it's not about, this is, this is really, we've got to think about this, because this is not, um, pride could be so subjective, where, where I go, oh, okay, you guys are going to think that I am, I am humble because I'm getting down on my knee and I'm, I'm kissing, your, you're kissing your hand or kissing your feet or, or I'm at some, some level showing you that I, I will wash your feet and you go, oh, Jason is so humble. Well, 
it may look like that. Why? Because, you know, man judges the outside, but God looks inward. See, oftentimes we'll, we'll look at people and we'll go, wow, you know, I mean, hey, you know, look at them. They, they drive a clunker car and they buy all their clothes at thrift stores. And I do that as well, too. But, but and we, we look at them and go, wow, they just, they just live humbly. But when we're talking about pride and humility in the kingdom of God and the battle and the battle of pride, We're talking about something very different than us having pride or having humility towards towards one another or even pride that we would look and say that's a prideful person or that's a humble person. That's not the goal here today. We're here to understand that pride, this pride going on in our soul, that literally it is something that is from our enemy. And James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10 speaks to this. Let's look at verse 6. It says, But he, that is God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And I'm going to get to that a little bit more in, in just a few moments. But understand, like 1 Peter 5, 5 says, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. The humble. And this, this is, so, is something that we have to get a hold of and not forget as followers of Jesus Christ that literally when we walk in pride and arrogance before God, we put ourselves in direct opposition against Him and He against us because He hates that pride and He hates that arrogance, and he's searching and looking for people who will walk humbly. It even gives grace to those that go, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not perfect. I struggle. I wrestle with this. But at the heart of who I am, I am in pursuit of God. So let's do a little bit of self-examination today and look at this. And I found this online, and I thought it would be good for us to kind of score ourselves on the pride meter, okay? The pride meter. So we're going to, you can, I'll post these on the notes for, on the Bible app, but here's how we're going to score it. I'm going to read you 20 statements, and you're going you're gonna, to uh, rate them always being five points, frequently four points, sometimes three points, rarely two points, and never for zero points. So here we go. This is going to challenge us to see if there's any pride that is in our soul today, and maybe we've been living with it for some time. So here we go. In conversations, asking you, in conversations, I prefer speaking about myself or having others talk about me rather than listening about other people. How would you rate yourself? In most situations, I'm thinking about how things will benefit me, reflect on me, or work in my favor. Rate yourself always five points on down to zero points. Number three, if I'm honest when making decisions, I tend to do what I think is least is or is best for me rather than what would glorify God. 
Number four, when someone says I have hurt or offended them, I tend to think they are the one with the problem. Number five, when good things happen for other people, I tend to get jealous and have a hard time being happy for them. Number six, I desire a lot of attention and affirmation. Number seven, I think I'm generally better than most people. Number eight, I am not a generous person and am more prone to take than to give. Who wants that badge? But that may be reality for your life. Number nine, I feel like the world would be a better place if people just agreed with the way I think, the way I think they should believe. Number 10, I have a hard time not winning and am overly competitive person. That doesn't sound like that would be even a pride issue. Come on, really, come on. Really. So, number 11, it is more common for people to serve me than for me to serve them. Number 12, it bothers me when I do something good and do not receive credit for it. Rate yourself, five, it's me, zero, no. Number 13, I have a hard time giving compliments to others, speaking well of others, and honoring others. Number 14, I feel like certain menial tasks are below me and should be done by someone else. Number 15, I hide my Christian convictions when I am with people who might disagree with me, judge me, or reject me. Number 16, I have a hard time taking orders, receiving correction, or being under authority. Number 17, I think about myself more than I think about God and other people. Number 18, I prefer to be the teacher informing others rather than to be the student who is learning. Well, yeah, I may be guilty as charged uh, in some of that. Number 19, I care a lot about how I appear to others, my appearance, possessions, and people with whom I associate. I care a ton about that. And lastly, number 20, I tend to brag about myself and criticize others. So then what you would do out of those 20 questions, you'll rate yourself and on a scale of zero to a hundred. And how did you do? If I'm reading those questions and you're thinking through them, how did you do? And how you did will determine how much work you have to do. So before we take the Bible as our binoculars and look and see and judge everybody else's problems and everybody else's issues, what is the thing we need to do? We need to take a mirror and take a good, hard look in the mirror and see what's going on in our own life. We need to take a mirror and look at ourselves. One Bible dictionary says of the King James Version, the 10 Hebrew and two Greek words generally used for pride refer to being high or exalted in attitude. The opposite of the virtue of humility, which God rewards and praises so often. It says, one Greek word refers to a person being puffed up or inflated with pride or egotism. So, if that's the case, and I don't know anybody here, anybody listening that hasn't wrestled with pride at some point in your life, pride with putting yourself first, and that's really what the issue is. Is. We've all wrestled with that because we're human, right? 
We just struggle, right? And, and it's like something we're just going to have to go through for the rest of our life. To which, as you read scripture, I don't think that we have to live with that. I don't think that we have to be defeated in the area of pride. So what can we do to defeat Satan's counterfeit of humility, which is pride? What is it we can do to defeat Satan's counterfeit of humility that is pride? And see, the enemy always has a tactic in the unseen realm impacting the seen realm, and the issue is he takes the opposite of what God has said is good, and he creates and crafts something that is very, and is something very different, and he brings it out to us. But humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I love this story about a king named Josiah. I don't know if you've ever studied about the kings uh, in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, in the Old Testament. Great stories. But a lot of the stories about these kings, um, you'll read and it will say, and this king did evil in the sight of the Lord, and this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. And, And there's just a lot of kings that did more harm and did more bad than those that did good. But there was a king that was was, became king at eight years old, and he grew in wisdom, and he feared God, and it says in the text of Scripture, it says that he did right in the eyes of the Lord. And as he got older, what happened is this king named Josiah, what he did is he found some of the leadership of, their, of the kingdom, found scrolls, that were sharing about how people lived or how people connected with God, looking and finding the Torah and reading it. As he read it, he realized that his, the forefathers and the leaders that had come before him had all been totally against God and breaking the laws of God, and therefore judgment was getting ready to rain down on the kingdom that Josiah was leading, and the kingdom's name was Judah. And when he read that, he's like, we have to find out what, what does God have to say about this? Is this inevitable? Am I going to be judged? And is this nation going down because of all the things of the leaders that have all the things that the leaders have done before me? And so that's where we kick off here in this moment in Josiah in, in 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 15 through 20. Then he said to them, then she said, here's what happened. These leaders went to a prophetess, prophets in the day, those that were followers of God, true followers, God-fearers, were given words from God to speak to leaders, to speak to the culture, as we have read throughout the Old Testament at times. And they go to this prophetess, and she says to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man, and the man's name is Josiah, the king, who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants all the words of this book which the king of Judah has read. So all that he's read will come to pass. It is true. God's word is true. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, like we talked about last week, they brought and put idols in place, and they removed God from the center of their world and their life, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place, and it shall not, and shall not be quenched. And then I love this, and this gives hope to all of us listening. 
But as for you, king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and you wept before me. He put on sackcloth and ashes and he goes, I have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. I love the fact that it says, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself, what it did is in the unseen realm, the seen realm had impacted the unseen realm. And what was going to take place from that point is he was going to experience the peace of God and was not going to have all the tragic things happen in his lifetime. And I wonder in our lives, if there's things that we can engage with God on in which the seen realm will impact what's going on in the unseen realm. So have you ever wondered why God hates pride with a passion? Have you ever wondered that? Why, why is it that God hates pride with a passion? Because pride is demonic. Pride is demonic. Pride came to earth with Satan and demons. It's the very essence of who Satan is. If, if somebody goes, I'm a prideful person, that's not a badge or a mark you want to have on you. Because at the very core, Satan is the very essence of pride. And from the time of the battle that raged in heaven between Satan and God, in Ezekiel 28 verse 2 it says, In your great pride, you say, I am a God. And you sit on a divine throne in your heart, in the heart of the sea. See, pride started and ultimately came forth through Lucifer. And he took that and God said, there's no place for it. Because what it's doing is it's saying, you want to place yourself ahead of me. And who's to go and be ahead of God? Who's to be worshipped above God? No one. And so we know that Satan was cast down. And that pride and that arrogance has rippled throughout culture. Well, it will continue to ripple throughout culture until, the, until Satan and his demons are ultimately destroyed. Even in the New Testament church, and, and I love what Paul wrote to 1 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. It's talking about who should lead in the body of Christ. Who should, who should step up and help make decisions and who should teach others and so forth. And Paul, Paul speaks to that and speaks to this young Timothy. And this is what he says. He says, you don't need to be a novice, meaning don't put a young believer, verse 6, Lest that young believer in the church be puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as who? The devil. 
Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. It is the enemy's tactic to make sure, just like I talked about last week, to make sure that you worship anything and everything other than God. And it is also a tactic to make sure that you think you have what it takes, that you're good enough, that you have all of the things necessary to be successful in life. To be successful in life. And the enemy goes, yeah, 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 yeah. it's all about you. It's okay. See, pride is the counterfeit of humility. The story of Job, if you've read about Job in the Bible, many of you, many of you have. And we know the story that, that, that there was the unseen realm in which Satan approaches God and says, I, I, I'm gonna, I'd like to be able to watch and show you that Job will curse you and deny you, and ultimately he will not be faithful to you. And God says, okay, in the unseen realm, he goes, go ahead, but I promise you, my child, Job, is not going to cave. And then we know that what happened is, is Job, uh, had, his body became ill. He, all kinds of tragic things happened to him, happened to his family. He lost his children. He lost his livestock. He lost his, the servants. He lost his wealth. All of the stuff that, that, that he had was gone. And he's completely stripped of everything as Satan declared war on Job. He wanted Job to become arrogant and turn against God because of the undeserved and immense suffering. He thought that if he took all of that away, you're going, oh God, I have followed you. Oh God, I have served you. Oh God, I've done everything right. You know that I would pray for my children and I loved my, I loved my wife. And you, why would you bring all of this calamity on me? Why God? And that he would then what? He would totally become arrogant and turn but we know he didn't. And so, the way to defeat Satan or the way out of the devil's trap is this. Go back to James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let me read that. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is not complex. This is not complex whatsoever. This is what, what is happening here is that when we submit to God, we're saying, God, in every area of my life, in, every, in my family life, in my marriage, my kids, my job, my hobbies, God, I'm giving everything to you, and God, I submit to you. I submit to you, and I say, God, thank you for, God, who you are, and I trust my life in everything I have. I entrust it to you. It is because of you that I have these things. It's because of you that I have succeeded in business. It is because of you that I have this family. It is because in you I live. The Bible says in God we live and move and exist. But the moment we think that we become self-made, the moment we think that we have, we have uh, accomplished all of this because we're just so good, 
That opens the door for the enemy to come in and wreak all kinds of havoc in your life. But when you submit to God, what happens is in that submission, you have the ability because of the Spirit of God in you to resist the devil, but only because of the Spirit of God in you to resist the devil. You have no power to resist the devil without the Spirit. And when you resist the devil, what does it say? He will flee from you. He has no power and authority to an individual that is completely submitted and surrendered to God. When we submit, the pride goes, the enemy goes, and we become overcomers. Now, the counterfeit trinity in culture. We know trinity, you know, in the Bible we say that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit comprise the trinity, right? But the cultural trinity is what? Me, myself, and I. And Satan packages pride in what? Ways that it's just so subtle, you know? It's like self-esteem, self-love, self-actualization, but the reality is, is that it's a pride trap. Because if you're sitting here today and you're going, I struggle with my appearance. I struggle with, um, I struggle with fear. I struggle, I struggle with uh, uh, sensing a, having a sense of love and accepting who I am and who God created me to be. But the moment, in the moments we continue to submit to God, what happens is he begins to change your identity. And I'm going to talk about that next week. We're going to wrestle that down and how the enemy wants to come in and mess with and jack with our identity. And I'm, I pray that we will not allow the enemy in the unseen realm to succeed in, in messing up our identity. But culture wants to take and packages this pride and self-esteem and self-love and pride replaces God as the center of the universe with me. I in the center of the universe. Luther called this a theology of glory in which God and others exist to glorify me rather than all of us existing to glorify God. So, when you think about it, all sin is birthed out of pride and all virtue, all holiness, and all glory to God are birthed out of humility. Very, very important. Now, If pride comes from hell and humility comes from heaven, there are some important things that we need to wrap our mind around as we pursue God, we we come to him and we resist the devil and we we pursue God with all. um, this This is something that all of us need to ponder and wrestle. And here it is, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at these verses. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Paul is saying here, if there is any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy, Paul says, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. And I I think that the body of Christ in the church should be the most unified, God-honoring group of individuals that 
to glorify God, work together for a mission and a purpose that God established in the book of Acts. But sadly, the unseen realm has come in and robbed. And I'm praying that the Lord will begin to restore throughout not only this greater Austin area, but around the world. And to work with one mind and one purpose. And then he goes on to say, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Why would you do that? Pride. Um, Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You, and this is key, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What was that? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, what did God do? What did God do? He elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, for the Christ follower, Jesus is our example. He's our model. Whenever we want to know how we should live, how we should walk, how we should engage, uh, Paul is constantly pointing and saying, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Paul even says, if you're going to follow me, the only reason you should follow me is because I follow Christ. I follow Christ. And what is that? That example is saying, I'm not worried about me. I'm not, I'm not going to take credit for me. I am going to take and glorify God, submit to God, and watch as the victories unfold before me. What I have come to the conclusion is just like in battle, the way, the way to stay safe would be to crawl low and to and keep your head down and crawl low to stay away from the bullets. I am convinced as a Christ follower that the way to submit to God is to continually humble ourselves, posture, you could do it physically, or internally, and submit and say, God, no more. No more am I going to take credit for my successes. No more am I going to think that I can do it on my own? No more, God, am I going to put myself in the place of you? Uh, God, whatever that pride right now that is there, I ask you to remove it. And you said, if we ask anything in your name, that what you desire, and you desire that we submit to you, resist the devil, and he has to flee. And that's exactly what our Heavenly Father desires for the body of Christ. When the church gets that, when we as Christians understand the submission unto God and pursue that submission, even though we may fail, even though we're going to struggle, even though there'll be days where you're like, ah, I shouldn't have done that, or God, I'm sorry, I, I placed this thing ahead of you. There's more grace. Grace exists for you. It's available for you. But I can tell you this, 
you don't want to be in opposition with God. You know the fate of those that are opposed to God. But you don't have to live that way. God is grace over you. And I pray that you'll accept it today. And that you'll watch as pride will be removed and God has center place. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, this area is a big one. It's really at the core. It's, it's, if, if we continue to have pride, we, we break the commandments, we, we live in disobedience, we, oh God, are missing your best for our life. And we definitely don't want to be in opposition to you, God. So I pray over those that are listening right now, tuning in, or those that will listen, that God, that they will submit to you. And God, that you will give them grace. Grace in the journey. Grace in the process. Grace in the posture internally and in their life. And oh God, then the enemy will have no, no right, no ability to continue to do all kinds of damage from the unseen into the seen realm. Thank you, God, that today you help us to live victorious. And this battle that is raging for the souls of mankind, I thank you, God, for what is going to break free in the spiritual realm as your church grasps this and pursues you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thank you, Jesus. To you be the glory, now and forever. Amen and amen. Today, if you're listening and tuning in and you would like additional prayer, maybe you need prayer for healing, maybe you're going through a struggle, uh, maybe you today would like to give your life to Jesus Christ, and you're going, I don't know what that looks like, but I know that I want to. I know I want transformation in my life. You can go uh, up in church online. You can go up to our, uh, the little uh, button up there, and it says next steps, and that will begin to walk you through those steps and give you more connection points and, and answer any questions to get you on the journey to what we say is Christ-centered wholeness. If you don't have access to that button, you can just email me at info at newhope365.us info at newhope365.us. Look forward to hearing as well as seeing what God is doing and will continue to do in and through your life. God bless you. May you have an amazing rest of your week. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd like to invite you to visit our website for all the latest news and announcements for New Hope 365. We have added some temporary buttons to our homepage to make it quick and easy for you to request prayer, sign up for our email list, see current needs and opportunities to serve, as well as give. You can find it all at newhope365.church. That's newhope, the numbers 365.church.